Why don't we pray together this morning? Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for being the one that we can trust, the one that we can place our faith in, the one who will carry us in difficult times. And Father, we just today want to be sure that we are rooted in you and that we have given ourselves over to a relationship that will grow stronger every single day. And so God, bless our time together this morning. Help us to hear what we need to hear and see what we need to see so that at the end of this time this morning, we will have gathered more about your word that will help us to be strong. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're glad you're here this morning, glad you're a part of things here at Chapel Rock, and, and glad you're here. I know mean, oh, it's a little cold outside. How many of you would agree that it's cold outside? Okay, amen to that. All right, got that over with. And, um, and now we're here to, uh, to worship together and to spend time together. We're glad you're uh, online with us. If you are, if you're in the local area and you can never get here, we'd love to have you because you're missing out on a lot of the good stuff that happens when you can rub shoulders with and shake hands with and be a part of a body that uh, is giving praise to the Lord. So come when you can, be a part of things here. And this morning I want you uh, to be a part of this message about being rooted in the church. How many of you have ever had the privilege of uh, going to California and seeing the redwood trees of California? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, several of you have been out there before. Redwood trees of California are amazing. This is a picture of one that has grown rather tall. In fact, the tallest redwood tree that's been recorded in the state of California is 379 feet tall. Now that may be him, I'm not sure, but he sure looks a lot taller than all the others. Redwood trees are amazing. They have a lot of different things about them. They get so big, if we can just run through these pictures, uh, they get so big that, that they have to climb them to find out what's going on and to check them for disease. And, and these guys are on cables and they're hanging from limbs and they're 300 feet up. And I'll tell you what, I would run into the teeth of a defense with a football in my hand and I will not do that, okay? And there you can drive through those big redwoods. A car fits through the base of them. It's amazing. They're huge. Uh, many of them are over 300 feet tall. But the amazing thing about the redwoods is this. Their roots don't go very deep. A 350-foot tree they've measured before, the root system on that tree, uh, when it fell over, was only penetrating about 10 to 12 feet below the surface. How does it survive? I mean, how do you weather the storms that come, the winds and the rain and everything else? How do you do that when your roots don't go very deep? We found out that, that the root systems of the redwood trees, as they go down, they don't go very deep, but they start going out. And pretty soon they entwine with the trees next to them. And they found out you can have a whole stand of redwood trees maybe 50, 60, 100, 200 trees, and all of the roots of every single tree in that stand are connected. They're intertwined. 
And so when it gets really windy, really stormy, really rainy, all those things, these trees stand tall and they stand strong because they're rooted together. There's a family of trees there and they support the others. They found out also that the root system of the redwood trees, uh, they have a tendency then as they gain uh, uh, access to one another that if one tree is starting to struggle and maybe even die, the other trees feed that tree from their root systems and bring that tree back to health. Pretty amazing story when you understand the root system of the redwood trees of California. Years ago in 1976, a man named Alex Haley, he wrote a book. And he wrote that book and was called Roots. And it was all about his uh, traditional family and where his family had come from and the whole story behind that book. And it became the uh, most successful TV miniseries ever in the history of television. The, he wrote that book because in the early days in, in, the, in the continent of Africa, uh, his uh, heritage began when a young Mandinka warrior by the name of Kunta Kinte, he was captured by slave traders, brought to America, and then generations later, after going through all the difficulty and yet sticking to their roots, knowing who they were, Alex Haley wrote the book and gave all the credit to the roots of his background. Huh. Families stay together. They're rooted to one another. When I was growing up, we used to go to my granddad's farm, and granddad and grandmother had a farmhouse set in a, basically uh, with trees surrounding uh, that old farmhouse. Now, that was because they needed the shade in a hot summer, and they needed protection from the winds in the cold winters. And, uh, and all around the house were apple trees, a pear tree, a grapevine, that kind of stuff. And uh, to the west of the farmhouse was this huge tree. I mean, huge. It, it, was, it was big. And, and we at one time had a, a swing attached to one of the limbs, and all the grandkids swung on that swing and that kind of thing. And yet, with that tree, the root system, part of the roots coming off the base of that tree were above ground. You ever seen a tree like that? They're above ground. Now, sometimes you'll see a little bit. I mean, this tree, there were roots that tall up out of the ground, and yet it stood there stately protecting the house from the weather, and out beyond the west uh, uh, tree, uh, the tree on the west, uh, was a big open space where at one end grandmother had her garden, huge garden. And then uh, there was a huge open space uh, where we played football, uh, all the cousins that got together all the time at family gatherings. And then grandmother had big pine trees at the other end. She planted a rhubarb under those. And then the fence to the west and then granddad's cornfields with a big apple tree right before he got to the fence. My brother and I used to uh, hunt the farmland. You know what I'm saying? Only when we were really young, we hunted with BB guns. And the BB guns weren't very powerful. In fact, my BB gun, I realized after a while, I would pump it full, and then as I shot, I could watch the BB do this. I thought, how many of you ever hit anything? You know? They just weren't very good, but they were BB guns, so we would hunt. We would shoot. We'd never hit anything, you know. And every once in a while, we'd luck out and hit a tin can on a fence post, but we didn't get that done very often either. But one day, we were out in the west yard, and 
I had my BB gun pumped up, and I always carried my BB gun like this, you know, like a hunter, right? And, um, and my brother had his all pumped up. He was carrying his on his hip, you know, kind of like the old Western you saw, you know, the rifleman and those guys. And so we were walking along, and we are looking up, thinking if there's anything to shoot at, we're going to shoot at it, except if there's a beehive. We don't shoot at beehives, okay? And so we're walking along, and, and we're, we're looking up, and my brother trips on one of those roots. And when he trips, he pulls the trigger, and the BB goes straight up into the tree. And the next thing we know, a bird goes on the ground. And we didn't look at each other and go, yeah. We looked at each other and went, what? What in the world just happened? We picked up that bird, and that BB had gone straight up and straight into its beak area and right through its head, killed it. We didn't mean to shoot it, although my brother acted like that later. Oh, yeah, I got that bird, yeah. I was probably 50 yards away when I hit that thing, you know. It was a mistake, you know. But those roots there supporting the life of the tree is what he tripped on. Not many times do we trip on roots in life because usually roots are going deep. Roots are going down so that when you do begin to struggle, you have something to hang on to. You see, the Christian life is like that. The Christian life is like that. It's like being rooted in Christ. And when the storms of life come, if you're rooted in the Word of God and if you're rooted in the love of Christ and you're rooted in the church where other believers are a part of what's going on, then you're more likely to survive the storms of life. But if you're not rooted in the church, if you're not rooted in your faith, then your chances of survival are severely limited by the lack of depth and strength in your faith. So today, I want to take you to that passage we read earlier in Ephesians, the third chapter, and I want to share with you from Paul's prayer. You know that passage we read, it's literally a prayer that Paul is praying over the Ephesian church. And he prays it for us today. And I want to go there, and I want us to see that passage again. And I want to read that real quickly. You follow along in your Bible as I read from mine. I'm going to emphasize a couple of things, and we're going to come back to them, and we're going to talk about how we can be rooted in Christ and in His church. Now, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family, both in heaven and on earth, derives its name. I pray that... Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Or so be it. That's what amen means. Okay? 
So what do we find here? What are the key thoughts in the prayer that Paul gives to the Ephesian Christians and to every single one of us? There are three thoughts that really rise to the top today, three thoughts that we need to carry with us. The very first thought is simply this, that the church is where you find strength for your Christian walk. The church is where you find strength for your Christian walk. You know, if you understand what he was saying there in verse 15, he said, now to the family of God. Now, now when he talks about that, he mentions both heaven and earth. Earth would be those of us who are here. Heaven is the triumphant church. Those who have already died, those who are already in the presence of Jesus. And that is one whole body. That's one whole church that we need to be pulled into and rooted in and to go back into the history of a church or the history of a family and find strong roots. That's going to be beneficial for you. That's going to be beneficial for you. When you understand the family of God is where all the saints come together. The family of God is where you find strength to weather the storms of life. The family of God is where you need to be rooted deeply so that you can weather the storms. Interestingly enough, he says here, I want you to be a part of that family, he says, and I pray that out of his glorious riches. Now, I don't like the phrase out of. I think this should be translated according to his glorious riches. You know why? Because if God's going to give you uh, out of uh, his riches, it can be minimal, but God doesn't work that way. God gives you according to his riches. Let me say it this way. Let's say that, that I'm a billionaire. And by the way, I'm not, okay? But let's say I'm a billionaire, and I give you $10. Now, that's a portion of my billion dollars. And I've given that to you, and that's out of my riches. But if I'm a billionaire, and I give you a million dollars... Now I've given to you according to my riches, and that's proportionate. And that's how God functions. God gives you according to, in proportion to what he has. And he has an abundance of what he wants to share with you. His riches go on and on and on. And part of those riches is not only the love of Christ, but it's his word. His word that's so aptly and completely can sustain you in difficult times in your life. In the book of Hebrews, in the fifth chapter, we find just a few verses that talk about that. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The Word of God is your meat. The Word of God, being rooted in the Word of God, is where you find strength to overcome the difficulties of life. And when you are doing that, when you've rooted yourself in the family of God, you're working according to the riches of God, and he's given you an abundance, the Word of God, and you have all those things lined up, you're going to be more likely to live like Jesus. In my early days of ministry at St. Louis Christian College, where I was the athletic director, head basketball coach, 
baseball coach, dean of men, taught New Testament. You know, I was a busy guy in those days. And uh, I had a young ball player my first couple of years who came on campus. He wanted to study, maybe go into ministry, but he was not really a basketball player. He would played football and wrestled in high school, good athlete, but not a very good shooter, not a very good ball handler. But, but I said, yeah, you can come out for the team. Maybe you can help us and that kind of thing. And so we got him out for basketball that year, and, man, he was a great defender. I mean, he could guard anyone anywhere on the floor, and he would just get after it. If you're, if you're familiar with the movie Hoosiers, this is a guy who when I sent him in the game and he came back out, I could walk up to him and say, what flavor of gum was he chewing? And he could tell you. I mean, he was, he was a tremendous defender. But David, after the first year and maybe the first semester of his sophomore year, he realized he really wasn't going to go into ministry. He wasn't cut out for located ministry, that kind of thing. So he left the Bible college and he joined the Marine Corps. And in the Marine Corps, he found discipline that he loved, and he found the opportunity to, to grow and mature. And, and, and all the time, he pursued a life in Jesus, and he was a testimony for the goodness of God in your life. He worked so hard, and he was so good at what he did, they trained him and promoted him, and pretty soon he was flying helicopters for the Marine Corps, and he was given his own crew. And one day in a training exercise off the coast of the Carolinas, over the Atlantic Ocean, something went terribly wrong with his helicopter. And he knew it was going down. He knew he was going to have to ditch it in the ocean. He told his crew to get ready, to buckle in, and they did. They went into the ocean. He left the side door up. He tried as hard as he could, the side door up, so as they unbuckled, they could swim out and to the surface. His crew made it out and made it to the surface. David didn't. As a pilot, he was either knocked out on impact with the ocean or he couldn't get his harness undone out of his seat and he never made it to the surface. They did the investigation and they, they interviewed the crew and they found out what had happened and the investigators determined that that day David had intentionally put his side of the helicopter into the ocean first in order to give the best chance for his crew to live. He gave up his life so that others could live. Kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? He was pursuing a life in Christ. He was rooted in his faith. And he was strong enough to do what he did. That should be the way we live. Because we find strength in the body of Christ. We have a group here at the church, a Man Up group. Some of them are going to the Dominican Republic and they, they on a regular basis, they meet on Monday nights, every other Monday night, they challenge one another, they encourage one another, they build one another up, they study the Word of God together. They, as a portion of the body, are rooting one another in the faith. I've spoken there several times and I'm telling you what, those 15 or 18 men that gather on that Monday night, they pay attention. They listen to the Word. Over the last year, they've been doing, for more than two years now, a ministry of the homeless down in the inner city of Indianapolis. And this last year, through your donations and through part of our mission work, these men went downtown and they gave away 99 sleeping bags, 524 candles, 310 pairs of socks, 
1,462 AAA batteries, 700 AA batteries, 696 C batteries, 457 D batteries, 1,268 rolls of toilet paper, 1,505 bottles of water, 284 bars of soap, uh, 23,650 baby wipes, bagged 50 each in bags that they did themselves, 452 flashlights, 297 deodorant sticks, 329 toothbrushes, 321 shampoo bottles, 530 razors, 155 cans of bug spray, 220 blankets, 190 coats and jackets, 150 t-shirts, 60 scarves, and 260 pairs of gloves, all because this body of Christ came together and supported their efforts to try to take care of the homeless in the inner city of Indianapolis. And aren't you glad to be a part of the body here at Chapel Rock that does that? When I was growing up, we used to sing in church all the time, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain. I've been cleansed by his blood. I'm a joint heir with Jesus as I travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. You see, you, you need that in the body of Christ, in the church. You need that strength. And the church is where you find strength for your Christian walk. The Apostle Paul goes on, and the second part of this, he says, he says, now, in the church, the church is where you find depth for your faith. It's where you go deep. It's where your roots get deeper. It's where your personal relationship grows even more. You find depth in the church, in the body, as you come together. Interestingly enough, in this passage, in Ephesians 3, he uses three verbs that I think are important as they jump out to us. First of all, he says the word dwell. He says, I pray that out of the glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power and through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. <laughs> dwell. It means to settle down. It means to feel at home. It means that Christ should feel at home in your heart. In Genesis 18 and 19, I always put these two passages together for some reason. In Genesis 18 and 19, the angel of the Lord, Jesus pre-incarnate, brings two angels with him. The three of them meet up with Abraham. Their message, you're going to have a baby. Abraham prepares food and shows hospitality, and the angel of the Lord, Jesus pre-incarnate, feels right at home. Has this conversation. The other two angels kind of hang back. And then the second part of their mission is to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah in the next chapter because they've been sinful. And they're so sinful, you can't even find five righteous people in the whole place. Four, Lot, his wife, and two daughters. And they're living in the middle of sin by choice. And I've always found it interesting that this word dwell, may Christ dwell richly in your hearts, that he feels at home, he settles in, he felt totally at home in the tent of Abraham, but he sent the other two angels. The Lord did not go to Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent the other two angels to destroy them. You know why? Here's what I believe. Because Jesus would not feel comfortable in Lot's house. He would not feel comfortable. He would not dwell there. He would not go there. 
And in this passage, Paul says, man, you need to get deep in your faith. You need to find some depth so that Christ will feel at home in your heart. That's that word dwell. The question is, does Jesus feel at home in your heart today? The second verb is simply the word rooted, he so, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And I pray that you being rooted, the word rooted means to go deep, that, that, that you'll be rooted in Christ, you'll be rooted in the love of God, you'll be rooted in the word of God, you'll be rooted in the church so that you'll find depth for your faith. And then he uses a third word, the third verb is simply this one, it's the word grounded, it says established in the NIV, I like the term grounded. That means you have a foundation on which you're going to build. It means that you're going to be so involved in the love of God that, that the depth of your roots are going to go deep and deep and deep and deeper still, and your relationship with God is going to grow, and your relationship in the church is going to grow, and you're going to intertwine your roots with other believers, and the strength of the body of Christ will allow you to survive whatever comes your way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. you got to believe in him. you got to make him your Lord and Savior. And that's where you're going to find the depth for your faith. It also tells us in the Old Testament, Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, I love that passage. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but here's what happens but whose delight is in the law of the lord and who meditates on his law day and night now listen to verse three that person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers you're not going to wither in the face of a storm. You're gaining your strength from the roots you have in the Lord. And Jeremiah the prophet, he wrote about the same thing. He said, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Mm. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. You're going to be by yourself. You're going to have no support, no one to give you advice, no one to help you out. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. <laughs> They'll be like a tree, there it is again, like a tree that's planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. <laughs> its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Why? Because its roots are deep in Christ. Because its roots are deep in the Word of God. Its roots are deep in the love of the Lord, and you find that depth only when you have your roots in Christ and in His Word and in the church. I read about a preacher. <laughs> they were having a building program at his church, and 
he went by. He was so excited for it to get started, and they'd finally done all the excavation work, and he went by, and first day they were really doing anything, and there they were. They were pouring footers for the foundation of the new building. Man, he was all excited. He went on to the office where he was, and he worked that day, and he came by the next morning, and they were doing the same thing, and he thought, wow, you know, they, they got a lot to do here. It's going to be a really good thing, so they're pouring more footers and pouring more foundation, and then came by the third day, and they're still doing the same thing, and he thought, what in the world? Why are they just being lazy? Or what are they, you know, they should have had this done. And the fourth day, they were still doing the same thing. So he calls the architect over and the construction site manager, and he says, hey, guys, I have a little concern here. He said, you know, I come by first day, okay, second day, okay, third day, a little concern. Now you're still doing the same thing. What is going on? The construction site manager looked at the preacher. He said, preacher, if we don't go deep, we cannot go high. And the preacher wrote in his article, he said, not only that day did I learn a lesson about construction, but I learned a spiritual lesson as well. That unless I go deep in the love of God, unless I go deep in the word of God, unless I go deep in the body of Christ and form relationships, I cannot go high. My friends, that's what it means when Paul prays that in the church, that's where you find depth for your faith. So in the church, you find strength for your Christian walk. In the church, you're going to find depth for your faith. Here's the third thing, but it's a little bit different. As you come to the conclusion of this prayer, this is where you find out that God is where you find abundantly more than we ask or imagine. Wow. <laughs> That's where you're going to find it. You're going to find it in God. You're going to find it in Him. In fact, in many translations, it's going to say there with this word, it's going to say immeasurably more, abundantly more. There's a superabundance in some paraphrases it says. You know, Paul sometimes writes with what we call uh, uh, hyper words. In fact, here in the Greek, this Greek word is the Greek word hyperekparisu. Now, I know you don't care what that word is, but here's what it means. There's vastly more than more. That God is vastly more than more. You can't even imagine how much God wants to bless you. You cannot even imagine how much God wants to get to know you. You cannot even imagine how much God wants to call you in and make you a part of his forever family. There's abundantly more, immeasurably more, incredibly more, vastly more than more is where God is. And then Paul closes out the prayer, and he mentions seven very well-stated things that God is going to do for us. And here's what they are. We're going to go through them real quick. Number one, that God is able to do. That's right. He's not asleep. He's not paying, it's not that he's not paying attention or all those things. He is going to do because God is always at work. Secondly, God is able to do what we ask. Why? Because he can do whatever we ask. He's bigger than we are. Number three, God is able to do what we think because he knows what you're thinking. He, he can think bigger thoughts than you think. He can think greater thoughts than you think. And he's going to be able to do that. Number four, God is able to do all we ask or think. Not just some, 
God can do it all. Number five, God is able to do more than what you think or imagine. Number six, God is able to do abundantly more than what you think or imagine. And number seven, God is able to do far more abundantly. Hyper ek parasu. <laughs> Vastly more than more than you ever dreamed of or imagined. You know what the key to all this is? In the very last two verses of this prayer, take the first three words of each seven statements. Say it with me, church. God is able. Say it with me again. God is able. One more time. God is able. And that's where you're going to find the depth. And that's where you're going to find the strength. And that's where you're going to find a relationship in the Lord. Matthew, the seventh chapter, Jesus tells a story. It's the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's already preached the whole sermon. And then he tells a story about a man who built his house on sand and a man who built his house on a rock. And then he says the storms came and the guy who built on sand all got washed away. He got destroyed by the storm. He said the guy who built on the rock, what happened to his house? It stood firm. It didn't budge. It didn't go anywhere because he had a firm foundation. He was rooted well. Why did Jesus say that? At the end of an entire sermon, why did Jesus tell that story? Because he wanted every single ear to hear. Are you listening, church? Are you listening? Jesus wanted every single ear to hear that you better have a firm foundation when the storms of life come. Because if you do not, you will be washed away. But if you build your life, if you root it deeply in the love of Christ and the word that he's given us, and in the church, the body, the family, of God you'll stand firm doesn't mean you won't have storms you'll stand firm so the question today is what's your foundation like where are you building where are you rooting your life what have you done with yours because see if you're not putting roots down in Jesus then you're in trouble if you're not putting roots down in the church, you're in trouble. If you're not putting roots down in the Word of God, you're in trouble. Because it's not a matter of if the storms come. It's when they come. You better have your foundation in Jesus Christ. So you can choose to do that today. You can choose to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You can make that decision today. You can walk the aisle. You can meet with one of our decision counselors and tell them you want to get on that path. You want to put down roots. You want to get deep in your faith. If you're not sure what you want to do, you can go to the next step room. We'll have leaders back there to talk to you, help you figure out what you need to do. Some of you who are already believers have said, in your mind, I don't have very deep roots. I don't know what I've been doing all these years. 
but I haven't been putting down roots. Maybe you need to come up and pray. Spend time with our prayer partners and ask them to pray for you. Whatever you need to do today, you can do that today. You can build that foundation with the help of God today. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. While we sing, you come in the name of Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity to make a choice, to decide whether we're going to have a strong foundation or a weak one, whether we're going to put our trust in you or in this world, whether or not, Father, we can weather the storms of life. Father, today, we know the only way we can do that is when we make Jesus our Lord and Savior. So I pray, Father, for those who are making that decision today for the very first time. I pray they'll walk the aisle and give themselves to you. I pray, Lord, that you will give them the courage to do so. For those who need to pray, I ask, Lord, you'll give them the freedom and the courage to come and, and pray in front of you and to, to re-up their desire to be like Jesus. And then, Father, I, I pray for those who have been Christians for years, whose foundations are weak, they're built on the sand. I pray, Father, they'll switch that today. And they'll decide to get roots down deep in the love of our Savior. So, God, whatever they need to do, I pray they'll do it today. And I'm going to pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen and amen. Won't you stand?